This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Budawang people of the Yuan Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection with land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that are still happening today. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. You know, Shive Palmer. It's like Clive Palmer. I think that's kind of funny. I mean, it's what we've got. So it's, it's what we're rolling with. Whether, whether it's funny or not is immaterial at this stage. It's Ospol Snack Pod. It's the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics. With a side of crispy memes, we are also the official podcast of the Ospol Shitposting Facebook group. If you like memes and shitposting, that is the Facebook group for you. My name is Zach Snack. With me, as always, is my co-host. It's me. It's noon. It's good to be back, Zach. We took a week off last week. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, as we said on the socials, a series of like mild to moderate disasters that added up to like several quite big ones. Um, yeah. yeah. Stick around to the end of the podcast if you want to hear why. <laughs> you want to hear about that? You want to hear us complain? All you got to do is sit through 60 to 70 minutes of amateur political analysis. Hell yeah. I feel like that's a pretty good deal. It is. Yeah. You know what else is a pretty good deal, Noon? Tell me, Zach. I, I'm always on the lookout for good deals. <laughs> well, if you head over to the Ospol Snack Pod Patreon, for as little as $1 a month, you can get a monthly bonus episode, wow. plus other stuff at higher tiers. Wow, other stuff. That is a great deal. Holy crap. I you bet have no idea. The only people who sign up for that are total legends. Yeah, only the coolest. Coolest of the cool, flyest of the fly. We turned down all um, of the patron supporters who aren't you know extremely cool enough great enough level. yeah exactly yeah yeah it's yeah it's strict entry it's not it's come one call, no no please please, <laughs> we, please support us we need i more. don't know why we're doing this yeah. bit but a bunch of people signed up in the last couple of weeks so thank you so much to sue chris lee and anthony and to kirsten for increasing your pledge thank you so much for your support it helps us pay to keep the show running including getting transcripts up and podcast hosting and other stuff that we need to spend money on. So, yeah, you want to help us out, that's the place to do it. But now, that's enough of that, and it's time for some news. Would you agree, Noon? Oh, yeah. Can I offer you one of these, sir? No, no, take it away at once. Yeah, so this is the segment where we talk about things just briefly, as, you know, a little entree or amuse-bouche before the real news. Um, <laughs> and up first is... Please, the... amuse my bouche. Well... This might amuse your bouche, if I, I know you right, Zach. a tiny little cup of amuse bouche. I need to drink this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so Scott Morrison has COVID. Um, he, spent, oh! <laughs> he spent three hours in a room with a bunch of cabinet ministers and other important people just before he tested positive, and one of nice. them has since tested positive as well. Uh, his family have all tested negative, but they're all isolating. Um, it sounds like he is fairly unwell, but not likely to go to hospital. Um, not a huge amount of analysis. There were a bunch of very annoying conversation articles with titles like Morrison has COVID and it matters, but not for the reasons you think. Um, <laughs> and I think what they actually meant was it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, mm. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's pretty annoying for him because he can't campaign for the election for a while. So, you know, mm. yeah. I think him having it, but his family not, is actually the perfect arrangement for making for finding and a this cabinet funny. minister as well. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's great. Let's throw it in as a bonus. Uh, again, it's funny. I'm sorry. It was funny when Peter Dutton got it. it it's uh, funny that Scott Morrison has it, and uh, it's funny that Clive Palmer definitely sorry. doesn't have it. Sorry, who? Sorry, Chive Palmer. Oh, uh, oh, of course, I'm familiar with yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, you know. That anti-vax champion who definitely doesn't have COVID, mm -hmm. that guy who sends unsolicited texts and puts up billboards and doesn't pay millions of dollars in wages to his yeah, employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chive Palmer. Well, he's conducted another epic bacon troll yep. by buying Hitler's car. Um, wow. So, <laughs> congratulations, Renaud. I, I was trying to figure out what you meant by an epic bacon troll, but I think 
it was perfectly explained by the specific example of buying Hitler's car. Yeah, it makes perfect <laughs> sense. Yeah. I'm glad I could take you on that short walk with me now. Uh-huh. I can't read the Courier Mail article that first reported this, okay. which everyone else is referencing in their articles. They're like, right. Courier Mail is reporting. Uh, because, yeah, my paywall blocker has stopped working on News Corp sites. Yeah, me too. Annoying. So, hey, sometimes um, we need to read the Australian listeners. Yeah, get us up with replacement suggestions. Um, But uh, here's a quote from the ABC, which is free. News Corp reports the leader of the United Australia Party bought the 1939 770 Grosser Offener Tourenwagen, or Super Mercedes, Uh, from an unnamed Russian billionaire. You know the supermark? This is a great time to be buying cars from unnamed Russian billionaires. (laughs) That's just like Chive Palmer has, you know... The read the the room reader has logged on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, here's a line from the Guardian. When contacted by Guardian Australia on Thursday, a spokesperson for Palmer dismissed reporting of the purchase as "quote unquote" fake news. Uh-huh. Clive Palmer hasn't bought Adolf Hitler's car, the spokesperson <laughs> said. Further clarification was sought from Palmer's spokesperson. None was forthcoming by the time of publication. Look, I mean, um, to be fair. It's pretty difficult to conclusively prove that you haven't bought Hitler's car. <laughs> like if someone Especially was like, if, as in this case, you have you done so. Probably have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Palmer is now threatening to sue the Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews because she was like, "We, the government, think it's bad that Clive Palmer bought Hitler's car." Um, here's what he had to say on Twitter. The Liberal Labour Alliance is struggling for relevance and rather than concentrate on the issues that really matter, are too busy engaging in mudslinging and pushing lies to damage the reputation of anybody who threatens to upset upset the status quo, says the guy who bought Hitler's car. Well, he's concentrating on the issues that really matter, Zach, like supporting Russian oligarchs who have had their liquidity frozen and the very underrepresented... Hitler car dealer industry. <laughs> yeah. I was reading some analysis that says the car possibly has asbestos parts in it as well, which is oh, like, good. yeah, yeah. Ah, that's the real Clive source on top. So, yeah, I mean, look, this is fairly transparent outrage bait from Clive. It's not surprising. It's a pretty common tactic from him just, you know, do some outrageous shit in order to get a bit of press when yeah. he's feeling a little bit, you know. Not feeling the love. Uh, but he does basically seem to fail to, like, really upset anybody about this. Like, I think he was hoping to whip up this, like, big outrage. I don't know, man. You know, Sounds like you're an offended SJW who's so yeah, offended. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty feel I'm melting yeah. over here. Yeah. Snowflake areas. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, basically everybody seems to just be like, well, yeah, okay, Clive. <laughs> Sure. I guess someone has to own it. That's that's that's, that's my shit, most generous. Like, that's reading. shit, but do you? Mm. Um, yes, but the government has said that they will stop him importing the car anyway. So yeah, um, great. It's not really even news, um, except it's fun to talk about anyway. But I do have, I do enjoy the mental image of like, you know, like the last scene of Indiana Jones. It's like somewhere in like a customs warehouse. Oh yeah, yeah, big yeah. crates. There's like a, a lone government employee pushing Hitler's car into a dark and dusty corner after after they've impounded it. Yep, coming off the plane from Russia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes, so that's enough about Hitler's car for this episode. For this episode, but obviously, you know, we have the Hitler's car segment. The saga continues. Yeah, Hitler's Clive car. Clive Palmer will Hitler's be back car. in. Yeah, um, Clive Palmer buys. Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. He should have a hat. He needs an iconic hat. I feel like he could rock a really tiny one, like Hey, hey Arnold. Arnold. Yeah. Or possibly, like, if he could play it cool enough, like a a whirly spinner hat. He does. I mean, importing I Hitler's car definitely has that. like kid on the playground trying to freak you out with a piece of poo they found sort of energy you know yes. so the little spinny hat thing what i think suit him kind of yeah. fits yeah yeah okay um and now for our biggest aperitif the biggest news story in the world is the war in ukraine um and you know listeners we try to keep the podcast australia only 
rare exceptions for important news like jetpacks. And, you know, we think war is bad. The Russian invasion is bad, but we don't want to talk about it a whole lot more than that. Um, we don't really have much to say and, uh, you know. I what think we know? there's well exactly there's just twitter is absolutely awash in with takes completely uninformed <laughs> takes from irrelevant people on this and um we you know we, we like already to keep do enough of that about takes within a a wheelhouse exactly we contain them we try to contain them but yeah you don't need yeah. to hear from us about this war but yeah war is fucking but awful something and invasions are bad that's i feel yeah. like we can both co-sign we... that Agreed, yeah. Strong snack pod anti-war stance, yeah. Mm. Um, something we did want to talk about, but then we didn't do a show last week, was Morrison blasting himself in the face while welding. With a, yeah, which is <laughs> pretty funny. Which, I mean, I think if, for people who haven't seen the clip or have only seen the image, like, it's important that he had his face mask on, then he took it off Lifts in order to look at the welding spark and then put it back on when he was like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> I yeah. see why people wear these. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, he went like, internationally viral for that, which was fun. Labour ran a bunch of ads featuring it. He just has this quite gormless look on his face as well. Yeah. Um, he's, yeah, anyway, it's he's fine. He's going but... for, like, Bojo sort of, like, hapless charm kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. But he just And then it almost literally blows up in his face. Yeah. Um, There's a Frank so, Grimes joke in this, I went. Why did I pivot sharply from the invasion of Ukraine to Scott Morrison welding? Well, I just wanted to. Well, I'm glad you asked, Nerd. Shout out a little bit of original content from Ebenezer Q. Yubblesworth over not Ospol shit posting. Um, and it's, you know, Homer doing the barbecue kit. Ah, uh, yep, yeah, that's a mighty fine looking leader of a country, except it's Zelensky. And then. Why doesn't mine look like that? Except it's Scott Morrison being blasted in the face with the sparks. It's a good meme. Would like to add the caveat when I mentioned this meme to Zach, he was like, oh yeah, because you just love Zelensky, <laughs> right? You just want to talk about how much you like him so much. And I would just like Total to Total be... uncritical support for Zelensky from noon. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Um, I'm very familiar with all of his policies and thus strongly approve all of them. Um, yeah, no, I'm not... Uh, you know, we, I would say, are not so keen on leaders of countries in general, mm. not Zelensky stands. But as you pointed out, Zach, trading Morrison for, like, essentially a random person who at least at one point has shown some bravery seems like... It's going to be... It's a, just it's like... A on the balance, it's all upside. On the numbers, it's, it's going to be a trade-up, yeah. It, there's almost no way like you're pretty unlikely so, to yeah to swap scott morrison for literally like n equals seven billion uh, other options and exactly yeah yeah and and be trading now it's not going to happen yeah but yeah i rather than offering um solidarity or praise to the leader of a country i feel like mm. we can offer uh solidarity to the people who are currently under attack and having their lives torn apart by this horrible conflict yeah. instead which is mm. Yeah, I don't know. Position I'd rather take, I guess. For sure. Well, let's move from that meme onto some more memes. Let's do it. Shitpost of the week. This is a tweet from Rukshan, the real Rukshan, at the real Rukshan. Rukshan. Yeah, you know, he's like an alt-right citizen grifter. Aim your camera with a red light. And there's that hit cover of Roxanne about him. <laughs> yeah. And um, a, a tweet of his was posted to Ospolshit posting by Chris Starr, so good job with the layup assist. Um, and so this is Rukshan, and he <laughs> says, Russia going full Bill Shorten, <laughs> calling everyone they don't agree with Nazis. <laughs> this is more of the tweet, but I feel like I just... I, I feel like, you know, invading a... Like, they're invading a country, and then, you know, my touchstone for that is, oh, such a Bill Shorten move. Fucking... Classic... just like a Bill Electricity Bill. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Russia going full Bill Shorten is such a, an <laughs> incredible... Like, Oz, Australian politics all-timer non-second. Galaxy brain. <laughs> Yeah. That's up there with, like, Dan Murphy opening hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, like, that's, that it is how good this tweet is. It hasn't attracted nearly as much. Is. 
Yeah. No, because he I does think like, it's because there's more. He does. He so dilutes not, the tweet. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes on to say the West has trivialized the term and weaponized it to score cheap political points, but Russia just took it to another level to justify their actions in Ukraine. So, I don't... Is it pro-the West? I don't know. I'm not familiar with the intricacies of Rukshan's specific alt-right ideology, but... I... I, Look, I don't know. But we were sort of sitting here kind of scratching our heads, being like, is Bill Shorten famous for, for calling, people calling Nazis. stuff Nazis? Surely, like a Greens person, or be a better touchstone. Yeah, like I don't know, AOC. Yeah, it, I yeah. don't know if she does do that, but she has the vibe of it. You know, like yeah. But we looked into it, and yeah. It, there was a very important moment that Rukshan related to deeply that he remembered. To, and that he's never <laughs> and, let go. Yeah, which was Bill Shorten called the protest against the CFMEU that happened, you know, a couple of months ago now. Uh, Neo-Nazi man babies, <laughs> which is not wrong. Like, there were definitely some no, regular old unionists No, but it does make him there. as bad as... Russia. Putin. Yeah. yeah, Putin, yeah. <laughs> yeah totally, yeah. 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 So, there's that's a real shit post for the ages. Mm. I'm going to try and use that in regular life just whenever anything happens. <laughs> so, wow. so it's going Never full thing short. <laughs> <laughs> it's much better than the extremely horrible alternative version of that joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also have another shit post of the week here. Which flaming hot tweet. I am... Now realizing that um, I volunteered to like, you know, sort of do a little bit of background reading about and just have completely neglected to. But it's okay. We'll just nice. come off the dome Fuck with this it. one. Let's go. This yeah. is a tweet from Salad McMangoes, which was another, <laughs> an alternate <laughs> title Contender suggestion for, for this title. episode. Um, <laughs> that's Sally McManus to you. Uh, she, uh, for head those of who the, aren't familiar with the, you know, foremost political nobodies <laughs> and... <laughs> Our consistent terminology. Yes, yeah. Head of um, the ACTU, Australian Council of Trade Unions, a.k.a. the Big Boy Union. Yeah. I know, she tweeted, I know there must be a really obvious answer to this, but a question for mm, the hydrologists. Good start. Great start. <laughs> when Warra Gamba Dam is near capacity, why doesn't Sydney Water suspend billing and ask people to turn on all their taps and take it down a bit before more rain comes? That is... A great question, Sally. I would say that that is one for the hydrologists. Um, yeah. Now, neither you nor I are a hydrologist, Noon. I'm definitely not a hydrologist. So maybe we just shouldn't answer that question. <laughs> it's it's not for us. I don't want to step out of our lane. Yeah. You know. and I, would, um, I would happily look at the hydrologists' responses to this tweet. I mean, that's what you were supposed to do. Sally has promptly deleted it. Very similarly Uh, to water going down a drain and then disappearing from existence. Goes to nowhere. Yeah, exactly. This tweet has gone Thus not causing any further issues. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Look, to be fair, (laughs) she said she knew it was a silly question. Yeah, look. The issue is... The issue she is the head when, of the ACT. Exactly. Oh, and sorry, when you're tweeting the Big from, Boy Union. Yeah, the Big Boy Union. And when you are tweeting from your Twitter account as the official person at the, that is the head of the ACTU, you just can't use Twitter like, you know, like a person with 50 followers and being like, hey, yeah. I'm looking for a little bit of advice. This, sorry if this is a silly question. You just can't use your Twitter account like that anymore. I'm sorry. It's not necessarily fair, but it is how Twitter works. I'm sorry. Just make a sock puppet like... Everyone else. There you go. This is not the correct kind of engagement post, Sally. You've done, unfortunately, a fairly poor job here. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, she's flushed that tweet, so no need to worry about it anymore. But that is a good segue into... Now, what starts with the letter C? Cookie starts with C. Let's think of other things that starts with C. Uh, uh, Who cares about other things? Yes, this is our segment about things that start with the letter C that no one gives a fuck about. And this week it's climate change. So as everybody I'm sure will be aware, there has been severe flooding 
uh, across New South Wales and Queensland over the past week. So far, uh, 12 deaths have been reported, but um, I've been some some analysis I've been reading has said that that number can be expected to rise like quite a lot over the next few days as waters recede. Hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced. There are you know, untold deaths of animals. There are towns that have been completely submerged. Um, it's an absolute fucking mess. It's a disaster. Um, all sorts of records being broken for rainfall amounts, rivers uh, you know, recording their highest ever levels, floods reaching their highest ever levels in many areas. Um, yeah, it's, it's basically... It's real horrible. Yeah, totally horrible. Um, so I guess as a podcast, it isn't really like, you know, an, an information reporting podcast so much as like an analysis one, because that's, just, you know, we're just two people kind of commenting on the news. It's a little bit, we're not I found going it a little out bit, and like seeing things for ourselves. No, we're not. Finding this is new first stuff. Hand, exactly. Um, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to know how to approach a kind of, a, you know, a horrific disaster like this, best way to talk about it. But I guess from an analysis point of view, you know, the, fir the first thing that really jumped out at me was, you know, how to connect weather events like the ones that we've been having to the kind of broader picture uh, of climate change and seeing how those two things uh, intersect. Because then, you know, that gives us a frame of reference for understanding what might be an appropriate political or pragmatic response to this on a broader scale beyond just, mm -hmm. you know, immediate disaster relief. So that's kind of what I looked into. And that's what I'm going to talk about in this segment. So uh, I started uh, at the ABC and they interviewed uh, a climate expert from the University of New South Wales uh, called Nina Ritter. Uh, and she reckons, she says that the cause for the floods is basically because we've had two La Nina years in a row. Um, right. If people aren't familiar, La Nina is a, is a weather system that basically happens when water near uh, in the Pacific Ocean near Australia off the East Coast gets warm and the Pacific Ocean in South America gets cold and it creates this effect where essentially you get a bunch more water in the atmosphere and you have heaps of rain. And when you have two of those years in a row, La Nina years, you know, we've got basically water catchments and dams, etc., that are already really full. And then they get rained on a shitload again and then you get the massive flooding that we see mm -hmm. this year. Um, here's a quote from that article. Dr. Ritter said that the warming of the atmosphere was causing more extreme rain events. It definitely has to be adjusted with climate change. It has to be updated continuously, she said. So you'll find like a trend, and this is true of climate science in general, climate scientists are very reluctant to make categorical statements mm -hmm. one way or the mm -hmm. other on stuff like this. There's been a fair amount of, I think, fairly legitimate criticism on the way that the scientific community has handled communication on climate change and perhaps, sure. you know, being a little bit too conservative is, is like a legitimate criticism that could be leveled at them in, in a circumstance like this. But nevertheless, here's an article uh, in the conversation, which is written by like a collection of climate scientists. When it comes to understanding the role of human-induced climate change in extreme events, there is the temptation to ask the wrong question. Did climate change cause this event? Instead, the question we should be asking is, did climate change contribute to this event? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's, you know, I think people like, you know, when you introduce nuance, especially in, in like the way, you know, the, the way that our media operates, it's, it's pretty, it's an opportunity for people to be like, oh, well, if the answer is not yes, then it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm moving on. Not a big deal. Yep. But yeah, essentially, you know, scientists say they can't give a categorical answer, yes or no, to that, you know, to this without an attribution study, which is, you know, could take months or years. Mm -hmm. But this article in the conversation does go on to say that there's evidence that climate change is going to lead to more La Nina years, and that the latest inter intergovernmental panel on climate change report, which is the big UN, like the again yep. the big boy panel on climate change, like all the world's top climate scientists from every country coming together, write this big, big report. And it's, you know, it's also very conservative. Uh, but the IPCC report, quote, projected that global warming of two degrees this century will bring, bring twice as much flood damage compared to 1.5 degrees of warming. So, you know, there's a fairly uh, black and white connection there, I think. Uh, the vice chair of the IPCC working group was interviewed in The Guardian. 
Here's a quote from them. It's more likely you're going to see this in the future with climate change because of the warmer atmosphere and the ability to hold more, more moisture in the warmer atmosphere, leading to heavier rainfall when it falls. The frequency may not change, but the strength of storms will change, and that will increase the variability of climate in Australia, particularly in the northeast and down through the southeast. So, again, you know, it's like... <laughs> Whilst we're not getting yes or no answers, in general, the answer seems to be yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, climate scientists won't say it, but hey, I'm happy to take that one for the team. Uh, in terms of the political response to this, I I'm not sure that there's a huge amount that's interesting to go into. One of the things that happened was that Peter Dutton set up a GoFundMe for an area in his yeah. electorate, um, which I think understandably drew a lot of raised eyebrows and uh, criticisms, people being like, you are literally the government. So maybe you shouldn't be crowdfunding emergency relief. Um, yep. There's also been quite a bit of conversation around this like emergency relief fund, which from memory is like $4.7 billion or something, a fund that was set up by the government a couple of years ago that they haven't dipped into to um, provide emergency relief. This is okay. like this has basically been Labor's line of attack this week. Why aren't you using yep. these funds? The government's response is that the fund stipulates we can't use it until all other emergency relief funds have been used, which basically seems to suggest that it will almost never be used. Uh, so, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I didn't look into okay. it in that much detail because it didn't honestly seem like that interesting to me. Um, but I do did want to talk about a little bit beyond like in a general sense, taking action on climate change, what kind of responses would be helpful to a situation like this? Sure. I obviously don't know. I'm a yep. fucking chucklehead. Um, but I collected a couple of ideas from around the internet that I thought sounded pretty compelling. Uh, Going to start off with a take from everybody's favorite leftist internet boy, Jeremy Poxon. Mm -hmm. I see the same progressive leaders who wasted the COVID crisis by basically talking about nothing but JobKeeper are also wasting this current flood crisis. The time to demand permanent basic income, paid emergency leave, and flood-proof and heat-resistant public housing is now, folks. Which all sounds pretty Sound, fucking sensible. sensible to me. Yeah. 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 Um, that conversation article that I mentioned earlier made exactly one concrete suggestion. They said, taking Great. steps like concentrating new housing and infrastructure projects in areas above floodplains would help make us less vulnerable <laughs> to these events. Which sure. seems, you know, obvious, but also perhaps that's what needs to be said, considering yep. what we're seeing at the moment. Yep. Uh, another idea that I've seen floating around is uh, does, is the concept of disaster leave and also emergency services leave, which would be mm -hmm. for people to basically get paid leave from their jobs to go and volunteer for the SES, for example. Cool. Um, yep. Which, again, these are very sensible, practical ideas that can be implemented without, you know too much effort if the political mm -hmm. will is there um and on that note you know increasing funding uh, and the capacity of our emergency services seems like another one and to kind of emphasize that i'm going to finish off here from a quote uh, with a quote from an abc article Mwilumba local sonia caro said she felt far more frustrated now than she did following the 2017 floods the sheer lack of services, infrastructure, the sheer lack of planning, she said, in terms of state and federal government planning and preparation in an area they know is flood prone. It was very much left to locals, like locals rescuing people. Our Facebook page basically had people going, can you please come and rescue me? So, yeah, I mean, that seems as clear an indication of any that basically the level of preparation that was required for this situation wasn't in place. And that seems like something that falls pretty squarely under the remit mm -hmm. of our state and federal governments, right? So For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's all that I have to say about that situation at the moment. Um, you know, I, I think it's really difficult to process a, a tragedy like this when you kind of, when we're still in the midst of it. Um, and you sort of literally are in the midst of it, right? Like, I know you're not in the worst hit areas, but like, you, it's going on nearby, right? Uh, kind of. I'm on the south coast of New South Wales, and yeah, there's been like a hectic weather system uh, that has now kind of moved on from this area. But like, yeah, mm -hmm. the town, the, the suburb over from me was flooded, and there have been flood warnings 
you know, listed yeah, well. for, for a couple of areas in the region. But yeah, I'm I'm totally fine. Like we were we were definitely worried. The garden was like partially underwater sure. yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um. But yeah. We're out of here tomorrow. That was one of the emergencies that contributed to not doing snack pod last week. Was yeah, it was yeah leakage. Yeah, yeah. We yeah we the the house that we're staying in sprung several leaks. Um. But yeah. yeah no, I mean I, I'm totally fine and not somebody who's been impacted in a major way by this at all. For sure. Yeah. Mm. Alrighty, well, we're going to move on now to our First Nations story, and I'll give a content warning for a young Indigenous person dying at the hands of police. Um, so, yeah, a 16-year-old kid was killed after he was hit by an unmarked police car in Sydney, um, and this is what the ABC reported about things that his father had said. Mr. Wright described two meetings he had as his son lay in a critical condition in Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. The first, he said, was with a senior police officer who told him that his son was being pursued by police before the unmarked police car turned in front of him, causing him to fall off the motorbike. Mr. Wright then said he had a meeting with a police investigator who told him there had been no police pursuit and that his son had lost control of the motorbike before running into the unmarked police car, which was parked on the road. So because of those like pretty glaring inconsistencies, Mr. Wright's calling for an independent inquiry um, into yeah. this death. Uh, currently, there is an investigation going on by the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, who listeners might recall are hot garbage. So just mm. for example, it's a bit off topic, but just this week, um, they admit that they knew that the head of police in New South Wales, former police commissioner Mick Fuller, had secret investments in racehorses and didn't do anything about it. Mm, so yeah. definitely a by the police, for the police, pro the police kind of investigation yeah. that's going on. And like Mr. Wright went on to say, to be an independent investigation, you can't be a police officer. You can't be a police officer investigating other police officers. That just doesn't make sense to me. That's my kid. I'm never going to see him again. I just want to know the truth. It's just absolutely fucking heartbreaking, you know. Like, just look like the, to break down those those statements. Like, to be an independent yep. investigation, you can't be a police officer. That's my kid. I just want to know the truth. Like, these are so, such basic, yeah. simple things to understand and request. And you know, we have this system that it it makes no sense at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it makes it a, a horrible kind of twisted fucked up racist sense when you look at what the system is designed to do but like you know On there's this terms, facade it's... of it being yeah some kind yeah. of impartial thing that's in you know in service of the population and when you have somebody standing there being like you are investigating yourselves like my son is dead for lying to me yeah, yeah. like it's yeah it's it's quite yep. mind-boggling um, there's another brief story, which is a bit better, which is that Victoria has approved redress payments for victims of the stolen generations. Um, and they estimate that about 1200 people will get a hundred thousand dollars each, as well as a personal apology and access to what's being called healing and family reunion services. Um, that sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty good. I think it's good news. I think it's at least a reasonably big step forward in a horrible and sad situation. $100,000 is not that much in the grand scheme of things, no. but it's certainly enough to change a lot of people's lives. Yeah. And of course, um, like I couldn't find very much information about how the money would be distributed or about if everyone's getting exactly that much or if it's an right. average that they estimate or, or, or what the story is. Um, and I also couldn't see any detail about what the healing and family reunion services are likely to be. Mm. But um, that sounds like if it's executed well, it could also change people's lives in huge and meaningful ways. Um, yeah. So, Obviously, I mean, I guess there always has to be a caveat when it's a government administering this kind of thing, right? Totally. You know? so remember, and like, like, we talked about, you know, like, previous schemes around stolen generations redress actually like perpetrating further right, right. psychological damage because they were handled incorrectly yeah you know and obviously a, a state level scheme like this doesn't you know doesn't in any way reduce the need yeah for there to be a national tragedy, yeah. you know, mm. for national reparations about this but yeah you know nonetheless seems like almost unequivocally a good thing to, yeah. to happen yeah yeah i'll be interested to keep an eye on that yeah as it develops or as we find out more about it 
Thanks for taking us through that, Noon. Um, now it's time for kind of a... Positivity so the good mm, news here, kind of, kind of, yeah. Mm, um, the good news is that Mark Latham's queerphobic bill failed in the New South Wales Parliament. Uh, well, one of his two queerphobic bills that he has up at the moment, or had up. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so essentially he was doing his own little boy version of the federal government's religious freedom bill. Uh-huh. Here's a quote from because it went so well for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is like it's been in the works for a minute, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah, we've talked about it before. Yes. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if we have talked about this, and we've talked about a different one, but I'll come back to that. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. So here's a quote from the LGBTI news site, The Star Observer. According to National LGBTQI Advocacy Group Equality Australia, Latham's anti-discrimination amendment, in brackets, Religious Freedoms and Equality Bill, had a number of provisions that would, quote, adversely affect, amongst, among others, LGBTQ plus people, women, divorced and unmarried people, and even people of faith. Um, okay. A bill that's Great. bad for everybody, um, which, yep. yeah, is pretty yeah. familiar, um, disgusting stuff. Uh, you know, we've been following the, the kind of federal conversation around this kind of stuff, and it's, you know, I don't think that there's a huge amount of material difference in terms of what Latham was trying to achieve. Sure. Um, but yes, it was voted down in the upper house, 29 votes to four with the government, well, the opposition, good. the Greens and the Animal Justice Party voting against it. Mm-hmm. I don't have listed here who voted for it, but I think that it was um, Latham himself and a couple of people from the Shooters and Fishers Party, which, um, cool. Um, get wrecked, losers. The government... Yep. The New South Wales government have said that they plan to bring their own religious freedom bill at some point. Okay. Um, but as you said, Noon, that didn't go fucking particularly well for the federal government. So it seems like a pretty bad idea right now politically. But yes. Yeah. Nevertheless, the nightmare continues because negativity corner. Latham's other horrifically bigoted <laughs> bill is a specifically anti-trans bill, which is the one that we have spoken about before noon. Right. The right. education legislation amendment in brackets, yes, parental rights bill. Yes. This bill has been described by LGBTI advocate, activist, blogger, Alistair Laurie as quote, the worst legislative attack on LGBTI rights in Australia this century. And yes, that's a big claim. Listen to this. Just from... had the plebiscite. Yeah. Listen to this from um, Out in Perth, which is another queer news site. The bill calls for any teachers mentioning transgender issues or gender fluidity to be fired from the education system. No mentioning of transgender people will be allowed. And additionally, has a broad ranging clause that stops teachers from touching on matters that would be considered moral and ethical standards political and social values and matters of personal well-being and identity, hmm. including gender and sexuality. Yeah, I uh, hate it when teachers talk to kids about their personal well-being and or values. Or literally anything except, like, maybe maths. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know Can't I mean? discuss history. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. but actually you know, there are a number of moral and ethical debates caught up in science for example history <laughs> geography like you it's just you know it's the most ridiculously broad-ranging hateful shit you can imagine well it's just also the same shit that we talk about a lot with like ideology or whatever that it's like yeah everything that what i want means to be talking about is not ideology is, just is not normal moral stuff. ethical standards or political or it's social just values. true yeah yeah exactly i don't have social values i just exist Naturally. Exactly. I just come out of the earth like this. I woke up like yep. this. Mark Latham is clawed out of the earth in a, you know, in a, like a, from a coating of slime, like a fucking Urukai, emerging as a totally His... morally neutral being with correct opinions. Yeah, yep. Thank you. Yep, that's all I wanted to say, but you said it much more entertainingly. So, good, good. <laughs> Sorry, I sort of <laughs> took your little football around with death. No, I, I loved it. Yeah. Um, but yes, disappointingly at this stage, neither the Liberals nor the Liberals have committed to voting against this bill. Mm-hmm. And there is currently a it parliamentary committee inquiry into the bill being undertaken. Guess who's heading the inquiry? Is it Mark Latham? Okay, it is Mark yep. Latham, yes. Mm-hmm. And they're due to hand their findings down on Monday, which is... Uh, 
soon. Soon. Um, and so we'll be following that. Um, and then, of course, on the federal stage, Negativity Corner continues, even though Scott Morrison ate bucket loads of shit over his own big boy version of the religious freedom to discriminate yep. legislation. Yep. He's quickly pivoted to supporting an anti-trans people oh, yeah. in sport private members bill from Tasmanian liberal senator and uh, transphobic troll Claire Chandler, which, like, you could just go your entire life without needing to learn about the existence of people like Claire Chandler, you know? Like, yep. they're just fucking, like, Australian politics is just packed with these people who, like, you you know, they, they essentially have no function for existing except occasionally they'll put their hand up and be like, I believe that you should die. I believe that you shouldn't have any rights. And I'm, I'm a going passionate to... crusader on you, you not being jailed at yeah, disproportionately exactly. high rates. Yeah. yeah, I want your life to be worse, and I'm going to introduce a private member's bill to make that happen. So yeah, as Tilda said when they were on the show, the liberals have chosen their you know put their, their political football pre-election yeah. in yeah. trans people, and they're absolutely running with it. Um, and like. Just, by the way, as a side note, this is horrible, and, it, you know, I, f I, I feel conflicted about giving this air, but, like, mm. I think that it's still, it's important to look in the face the kind of people that we're dealing with here. So just to really cement the kind of, like, out and out, up to his absolute neck-in-shit-level bigot that Mark Latham is, here's what he said when the Liberals' federal religious discrimination bill got pulled. Okay. The debacle in Canberra, where an attempt to protect people of faith against discrimination morphed into yet another focus on LGBTIQ alphabet, highlights something the mainstream media will never report. The disproportionate, self-centered, destructive influence of gay MPs in all Whoa. major parties. These MPs are driven more by sexuality than party ideology. Gays have fuck? higher incomes and education levels and stronger political and media access than the rest of society. Yet the MPs persist with a precious persecution complex overriding more important and valid equity issues. Wow. That, that is like, even by Mark Latham's standards, fucking turbo-cooked. That is char-grill. I often say on this podcast that people are like high in the running for worst person in Australian politics. The reason I can never say this person is the worst person in Australian politics because I always would have to add the caveat, ah, yeah, but Mark Latham, which is, mm -hmm. you know, really what Impressive. this is all about. Yeah, I mean, he's working hard. He's working hard to be the absolute fucking biggest piece of shit in Australian politics. So to bring this round to a slightly more positive negativity corner, uh, it's the Mardi Gras parade over the weekend, um, mm -hmm. tomorrow at time of recording and yesterday at time of release. And perfect. As, yeah. The perfect timing for us to have interesting and relevant insights exactly. about it. Uh, and as with the past few years, there's kind of this ongoing debate around the nature of Mardi Gras. And I want to finish um, this segment with a quote from Charlie Murphy, who is a member of Pride in Protest, an organization that advocates for Mardi Gras to return to its political roots. Here's Murphy writing in The Star Observer. Much ink has been spilled about whether Mardi Gras should be a party or a protest ink which washes away when we actually ask the basic question, what do we currently need? How can we truly experience the abject state the liberals want us to live in and not take to the streets? There is a corporate interest in saying that our pride festivals should be just our chance to have fun. Fun is the engine of the tourist economy that feeds off Mardi Gras. And yes, we should have fun at Mardi Gras. I myself have had too much of it through the years. But the more insidious fun is one that wants you to actively deny that we still have fights to win and prefer escape to victory. This is the insidious fun that corporations would prefer you to have. Some may pay lip service to protest, but ultimately the true protest is one that takes us to the streets without compromise until our lives and rights have been truly won by ourselves. And so, yes, the Mardi Gras parade is happening tomorrow, but earlier in the day, uh, or yesterday, their uh, Pride in Protest has organized a rally, which is actually, you know, it's a militant protest against um, uh, you know, for, for queer rights and against these horrible, bigoted bills that uh, are happening at all levels of government. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, strength and solidarity to uh, to Pride and Protest and the people who are going to be protesting at Mardi Gras tomorrow or yesterday. Um, yeah, more strength to your arm. Agreed. All right. Now we have 
a spicy little segment to finish off the show. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. So we got this potluck a month ago or something, and I absolutely pissed myself laughing through the whole thing. <laughs> uh, not exactly, not because of what it said, but because I have a tangentially related hot take uh, on a similar topic. But anyway, um, Jacob, it's we've been putting it off for a while. Here is Jacob's potluck. Hello, legends. In last week's episode of the podcast, Noon made a joke that pedestrians should wear helmets. This has been proposed in a few places because pedestrians, like cyclists, sometimes receive brain trauma while they're walking. The thing that people don't talk about, though, is that you're most likely to receive brain trauma when driving a car. So if we were going to be logically consistent and say that cyclists should wear helmets, so too, even more so, drivers and people in cars should wear helmets. Let's think about that for a second. And also, the reason why people say that cyclists should wear helmets is, you know, a typical neolib response from society, which puts all the onus of safety onto the cyclist. When really we know from places like the Netherlands, if we want cyclists to be safe, we need to build them better bike paths that are separated from the cars that actually end up killing people. And I'll leave you with a blessing that our roads are safe for cyclists and pedestrians alike, and that your podcast continues to kick goals. Amen. <laughs> Jacob, 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 you have no idea the wasp's nest that you have punted. Zach, forgive him, into for the he, he knew not what he did. <laughs> yeah. If anybody so... like knows Noob from way back, like they're listening to that and they are face palming vigorously. Coot, I know you're currently screaming into the ether right now. Um, so, Jacob did pick up on a totally in passing joke that I intended pretty much exclusively for Zach a cup, you know, a month and a week ago, or whenever it was, when I said, "So we should make uh, pedestrians wear helmets," and kind of moved on. Um, and Jacob very co correctly figured out what that was an allusion to which is that like clearly making pedestrians wear helmets is not a good or viable option um and and so indeed there's this quite reasonable logic i think along the lines of cyclists have a lot of head trauma they should wear helmets but pedestrians and drivers have more head trauma so they should wear helmets even more so um, I think there's some validity to that. But my hot take is actually about bike lights, not about helmets. Um, <laughs> and this is and... this is a hot take from years back. The number of, like, Facebook comments that had been written in service of this debate, like, I swear to God. Easily in the hundreds. You're yeah, accessing yeah. Not deep to mention new the more here. number of people who have said, stop. Please to me about this because it makes me this. so angry. Yeah, no, <laughs> which not of course was wrong is just because they were angry. Which is of course fuel to Noon's contrarian <laughs> fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that really bothered me about this is that I have a bunch of at least ambiguous research supporting my view that bike lights are not shown to improve cyclist safety. But with helmets, I'm sorry, Jacob, but there's no ambiguity at all. Here's a, a quote from an article in 2018 on PubMed. The use of bicycle helmets was found to reduce in head injury by 48%, serious head injury by 60%, traumatic brain injury by 53%, face injury by 23%, and the total number of killed or seriously injured cyclists by 34%. And so Jacob, I don't think, would disagree that helmets do improve cyclist safety, but he made this other argument that um, that's a very individualist approach and that um, there is a lot more should... that we could be doing in terms of infrastructure. Socially planning infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. And indeed, the point he made, again, someone indirectly, is that the best 
correlation with cyclist safety is number of cyclists on the road. And the next line in that argument is helmets, mandatory helmet laws prevent people taking up cycling or going on cycling trips when they otherwise would, thus bringing down the average number of cyclists, thus bringing down the average safety of cyclists. Oh, look, uh, which... I don't know if it's fair, actually, to put those words in Jacob's mouth. No, Jacob that... did not say that. No. I'm, I'm extrapolating an argument that I've heard many, many times. It is a very classic... That... I mean, I've seen this argument play out many times, and this is the direction yep. that it does take, yes. But yep. I don't think that we can attribute that to Jacob. No, to no, no, I'm not. And, and in, you know, this, as, I, as we've flag-posted heavily at this... Flag-posted? Sign-posted heavily... <laughs> flagged heavily at a signpost uh this is an issue that i have an irritating amount of passion about so i'm just going now that we've left the potluck behind and it's <laughs> we're rant time in, we're baby. in the moon zone yeah so we the, and to that i say we have other levers for improving safety other than improving encouraging numbers of cyclists so for example bike lanes which jacob mentioned fewer intersections is a big one because most accidents for cyclists happen in intersections straighter roads which increases visibility and reduces like people injured on turns um and there are ways to encourage more uh, sorry again i've got a lot more sources for this story than i normally would so you know this is all quotes if, if you want them i can send you the links but anyway so we also have ways to encourage cyclists other than taking away mandatory helmet laws so uh there was a study here that's looked into why people cycle and they found that physical health environmental sustainability and economy were the main factors encouraging cycling perceived crash risk adverse weather conditions and lack of safety were found to be the most relevant discouraging factors so actually maybe wearing helmets would increase the lack of safety and crash risk perception, which would encourage more people to feel safe cycling, and then they would cycle. And it turns out that, like, having to wear a helmet isn't high on the list, but, like, we could be like, you know, it's good for you and the planet, and you save money on petrol, and that that will have a similar effect, <laughs> or possibly a bigger one, uh, which makes a lot of sense to me, because, yeah, I don't know. Um, But... Now to get into my real rant, which is about bike lights. Again, I'm sorry. I know I said it before this was an Australian politics show, but it's also my show. So, you know. But here we are. So I, I have found exactly one article in, what, seven years of having this fight with people that claims that bike lights help cyclist safety. And I found a huge number that say they d don't necessarily, that there's no evidence that they do, at least. Okay, so there's this one article from 2012 called Safety Experiments of Permanent Running Lights for Bicycles, a Controlled Experiment. Uh, and they found that the incidence rate, including all recorded bicycle accidents with personal injury to the participating cyclist, is 19% lower for cyclists with permanent running lights mounted. Okay, so that doesn't include clip-on lights, for example, so that's interesting. Um... But also in 2012, there's another article, uh, there is no definite evidence of a relationship between crashes involving cyclists and darkness, nor in the presence of bicycle lighting and crash risk in darkness, possibly due to a lack of prevalence data. There are no standards for scientific or consumer testing of bicycle lights, and visibility-related results are inconclusive. So basically, there's a lot of different types of bike lights that you can wear that legally make you meet this principle that may or may not actually improve safety at all. And, yeah, yep. The other thing is that the vast majority of accidents involving cyclists happen at peak hour, just, like, when there's more traffic on the roads. And so the lights aren't improving visibility then and or aren't mandatory then. So, like, it's unclear why they should be mandatory. But anyway... 2013. This research suggests that different rules do not have large effect on the use of lights or on accident figures and have only a marginal impact on the safety of bicycle traffic in the dark. Only a small number of nighttime accidents can be clearly attributed to lack of lights. So, again, having rules about compulsory lights doesn't have an effect on whether people have accidents or not. So, just once again, th there's a few articles. Um, I... I, I I've tried to be brief and cull. Um, 
which I've obviously failed in. But um, there you go. Bike lights, very little evidence suggesting they're effective. Helmets, huge amount of evidence suggesting they're effective. Uh, so you're advocating it, for people to take off their bike lights and their helmets when yep. they're riding their bikes and put a helmet Especially on. Especially at night. But put a helmet on when they're stepping into a car. Yeah, so I, right? I, regardless of how effective helmets or lights are, I think that there is an entirely logical, if not reasonable, argument to be made that if we mandate them for cyclists, we should also mandate them for drivers who are yeah, equally or more likely to be hospitalized through car accidents. So, yep. What about pedestrians, though? Uh, I think that that's not pragmatic in the same way that, like, you know, we have mandatory seatbelt lights, we have mandatory, like, you have to have your headlights working on a car. Mm. Um, you, uh, get, you get onto a car or a bike, you don't really, like, you know, you step out of a house, you should just be, that's, you know, we should be we making laws that don't inconvenience just people getting about. Yeah, yeah, I just, like... <sighs> Yeah, we should redesign our cities so that they're pedestrian-centric and not car-centric. And cyclist-centric. And cyclist-centric. And then we should, yeah, implement all the safety measures that don't completely ruin everyone's life. And I feel like wearing helmets in a car probably don't ruin everyone's life. Um, I don't know if helmets are effective in cars, you know? I mean, presumably. But, like, they've got airbags. If bikes could have airbags. That'd be know, cool. That'd be cool. Uh, as it is, it would probably just like shoot you off the bike and cause much worse injury. But um, it's true. Anyway, Jacob, thank you. I'm sorry we put off the thing so long. We, as you can probably tell, I earnestly wanted to talk about this, and it was just <laughs> the one thing that wasn't time sensitive news. So, um, listeners, I hope you're all absolutely furious with me right now, and I can't wait to see all of the terrible evidence that you try and bring. <laughs> To show that, that bike lights are effective. In the Discord. Is it time to? I mean, the, yeah, yeah. Is it time to move on? <laughs> it is. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. That's not technically podcasting. You still gotta do that shit. That's right. Please rage about bike lights on all of our social media. or on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Patreon. Yes. Dot com slash OzPulseSnackPod. Wonder all a month, monthly bonus episode, more money, more rewards. More things. Yep. Please also go over, give us that old review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it. Give we love us, it. Give us the five stars, write a few words about why you tune into the show. We'd appreciate it a huge amount. You can also give us that five stars over on Spotify. That's going to help us out. Um... Oh, yeah, I did have something else for the P-Zone. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Um, well, actually, now that I'm here, I feel unsure about revealing this fact to people, but I am uh, uh, an amateur DJ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which, for people playing along at home, um, yes, I'm a triple threat. Vegan, podcaster, DJ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> big three as people call it yeah 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 uh the trifecta the fuckboy trifecta yes um i uh do a little bit of djing for fun last year um i did i i, I played a set um at like a kind of mini festival that um some friends of mine put together uh, I recorded that set and I posted it to my SoundCloud, which is Zach Snack on SoundCloud. So if you're interested in listening to some like trashy uh, late 90s, early thousands jams, um, you can go and, and check over that set on uh, soundcloud.com slash Zach Snack. Uh, my, uh, what's that? It's called Numbat. That's the name of the, the festival that it was at. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I don't normally plug the other shit I do, but yeah. Oh, maybe, also. Maybe I will bump your SoundCloud while I'm streaming games. Uh, I've been doing that a bit more recently. I've been speedrunning Hades, so if you want to watch me be bad at speedrunning Hades, come over twitch.com slash noonplaysgames. Maybe we'll listen to Zach's album in the background. Oh, that's very uh, cute. Yeah. Um, or set. 
set yeah yeah i i also am actually playing a live show um not as a dj but as a, a percussionist in a band that i'm part of called gregor here in uh nam aka melbourne uh, as part of the brunswick music festival so i don't know i guess while i'm plugging stuff i'll plug that too um if yep. you yeah i think that's on uh wednesday uh next week time of release so if you look up gregor uh brunswick music festival you can come along and see me um play like a tambourine and some congas and um a shaker that kind of thing you know if that if that, if that sort of floats your boat oh yeah all right let's get to the pup date now it's time for a pup date um well i have a cuck date this week um <laughs> which regular listeners will know that's the correct term for a cat update <laughs> instead of a yeah yeah cuck date um my new housemate has a cat named Lufia who's a, a void except he has a little white tuft on his chest and um little white claws which are very funny he looks like he's playing the piano yeah. um yeah and he's a very good and sweet boy and doesn't you know he puts up with being handled a lot which is that's what you want in a cat it's a nice thing for a cat to to put up with um but he's food motivated in a way i've never seen in a cat before like obviously cats they're pretty keen on their snacks but this guy i swear never before has a cat wanted more as much as lufia does and so i was like <laughs> you know he'd probably be pretty easy to train and sure enough like five minutes later he can come on command sit shake teaching him to scream wow. teaching him to stand up on his hind legs teaching him to walk and heal uh because he just loves the food so much uh maybe i'll post a little video of that on the discord if if uh people are interested um cat training it's easy and possible when they're desperately for food you know <laughs> um <laughs> yeah that's advice you can take to the bank well thank you for that noon and uh yeah as we mentioned earlier in the show uh had a bit of a week last week and in fact friday last week i had a bit of a day um, yeah. So yeah, I've been down here on the south coast to New South Wales or up here because I'm, uh, you know, usually live in Victoria. And I mentioned that Dante doesn't really like being in the car, and the mm -hmm. um, eleven-hour drive up here was pretty fucking rough. Um, yep. He was just anxious and whining and barking and and moving around the car and being kind of generally pretty unsafe the whole time, which was yeah a shame. And Holly and I both got covered in like gross bits of dog food and saliva and shit as the journey went on uh -huh, and Dante uh -huh. was just really stressed out and he's been basically stressed out the whole time that we've been up here it's been a bit of a shame anyway we decided to take him to the vet to get him some sedatives for the car ride home so he could just nap instead of being super fucking stressed uh, out the whole time shrieky boy yeah so yes we took Dante to the vet and uh the got the sedatives prescribed and that was all good it was no worries and then just as we were about to leave I turned to the vet and I was like oh also I just wanted to ask about this one of the thing that he's been doing he's been licking his asshole a lot and I had a look and it looks a little bit sort of red and inflamed and the vet was like oh okay he took a look and he was like oh mmm I'm very glad that you mentioned that to me that is quite a hot spot um which is oh, what that's a polite uh practiced vet terminology that's what they call it when uh when when an animal has licked themselves into like an inflamed situation which dante had done on his uh -huh. actual literal asshole so yeah we went in to get him sedatives and then what ended up happening was i had to fully restrain dante with my body while the vet gave him a shot of steroids in his back then applied some uh, steroid cream to his butthole and also gave me a course of like hardcore antibiotics to give Dante. And also he had, right. had to get a cone of shame because uh, initially the, the vet was like, look, we'll put the cream <laughs> yeah. on. You told me about this. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah, put the cream on, you know, and it, look, if he's licking it off, then we might need to get him a cone. And I was like, hmm, uh, all right. And the, the vet sort of left the room to get, like the pills or something and came back and Dante was already licking his butthole again. And it was like, okay, maybe we should just get the comb now. I was like, that's a, I think that's a Yeah, that idea. sounds sensible. Yeah, yeah. So poor Dante came home from the vet. Yeah, getting quite a bit more than he bargained for. I, I've been loyally putting on his butt cream all week, 
giving him his antibiotics, putting his coat on every day, and his inflamed little asshole hotspot has thankfully gone down uh, quite a bit. And yes, we are heading back to Melbourne tomorrow. We've got the sedatives ready to go, so hopefully Dante has a nice calm journey where he's asleep and he's not anxiously licking his own asshole so much that he has to get an injection of steroids. (laughs) That's my hope for the next two days. I, you know, I'm sure everyone in the SnackPod community is hoping along with you. Um, It will have happened by the time they hear this, but, you know, hope anyway, friends. Fingers crossed. Well, that's going to do us for this week, I reckon. Thank you very much, Noon. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. Um, we really appreciate you listening to the show. We appreciate all your support. It's very cool. Um, I'm going to be off next week. Uh, I'm going to be away. That's right. So we are currently in the midst of working out some kind of possible, um, you know, fill-in episode. Noon might speak to someone else or get someone else on. So we're working on that. Not sure what the plan is going to be yet, but hopefully we'll have something fresh for you next week. to produce it. Yeah, that is the current plan. Hopefully we get there. Um, So I will see you in two weeks. And until then, keep on snacking in the free world. Fuck Mark Latham, crunch crunch. Fuck Mark Latham.